This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Morning, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we just want to praise and thank you for being able to come in your house and worship you in this way, Lord. Especially want to thank you that we can approach you in prayer, not by what we've done, by what you've done for us, Lord. I want to pray for our sick and shut-ins and many special needs that are required in our congregation, members of our church, non-members of our church, Lord. We just pray that you would meet everyone in their need, extend them the grace that is sufficient for them, Lord. Pray for our pastors today, Lord. Pray for Pastor Paul as he brings the word to expound on it, Lord. Pray that we open our hearts and take something from this week and apply it. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us. Pray that we would glorify you in our worship today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, Will's coming up to do this scripture reading, the heavy lifting. So our scripture reading today is found in Genesis 38. Hear the word of the Lord. It happened, at that time, Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adullamite, whose name was Hira. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Kezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground, so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went out and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Tinmar, to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira the Adullamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know what she, that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she rose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. 
When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adullamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hands, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enayim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out, and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law. By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in the womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on the hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zira. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Some of you are saying, that's in the Bible? (laughs) You know, many people think the Bible is just a collection of heartwarming, inspirational stories. You've been proven wrong. But it's actually something better. It's, it's a story of the, of the hard reality of a sinful world and its effects on us and those we love, but also how God breaks through bringing hope, transformation, and victory. I wouldn't be surprised if you have never heard a sermon on Genesis 38, but... We shouldn't skip over it just because there are some uncomfortable things in it. There's a reason why it's there. We as a church need to get comfortable talking about the uncomfortable things. Because they are in everyone's lives, and if they aren't, you know someone who, who's, it's in their life, or people just have questions about them. The the biblical author Moses cuts away from the story of Joseph uh, for a reason. But it's, it's connected still. Joseph has unwillingly gone down to Egypt because of his brothers. Now we see Judah, look at verse 1 there in chapter 38, we see Judah willingly goes down from his brothers and turns aside to a a Dulamite, a Canaanite, and then gets married to a Canaanite. We are either affected by the sins of others or affected by our own sins, but praise God that whatever the case, God can still work. 
we'll see that today. Here's the outline. Story blindness, blame game, and breakthrough. Before we start, it's important to keep in mind that, that this chapter spans about 22 years of time. Therefore, chapter 38 is going on at the same time as the next chapters, 39 through 42. You know, keep, keeping that just in your mind as we go through this series will, will be helpful because this is, this is unfolding the same time everything else is unfolding for Joseph. But let's begin with our first point, story blindness. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we're often blind to how our story, our background, our past has shaped us and is powerfully leading us, influencing us today. Let's consider Judah. He's the fourth oldest son to Leah, the wife Jacob didn't love, or at least loved a lot less than his other wife. She was devalued in the family. His only sister was taken by a powerful man and then abused and imprisoned as, as he wanted to make her his, his wife, pretty much by force. He didn't give her back to the family. He kept her for himself. And his dad, Jacob, didn't seem to be too upset or eager to rescue her out of the situation. He saw his sister devalued. All the important women in Judah's life had been clearly unwanted. Now look what happens, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. So Judah left the family. He's had enough. He replaces his family with a Canaanite friend who keeps popping up in the story. And then he sees a Canaanite that he likes and marries her. And we're not even given a name for this wife that he takes, which tells us that Judah doesn't even see her for who she is. In fact, right after her death, he goes to a prostitute when the opportunity presents itself. It seems clear that Judah is well known to frequent prostitutes as well. We'll see that. We'll see why later. That prostitute he goes to later is veiled, so he never knows her either. He is using these women. They are much like the previous women in his life. 
who were devalued. You see the pattern? Judah is living the reality he grew up in. The reality he despised, yet he's still living it. We, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. D don't say, not me. Don't say, no, I don't do that. I saw some things, you know, when I was growing up, and I said, nope, not doing that. Yeah, maybe you did. But I guarantee you there's some things that you didn't. And there's some things that have shaped you. And some things that you carried up to this point today. Don't deny it. Be curious and ask yourself the question, am I living in the reality I grew up in, in some way? Ask yourself that question. Give yourself permission to get curious. There's, there's one more woman we need to talk about in Judah's life. Judah gets a wife for his oldest son, Ur, and her name is Tamar. After a relatively short marriage, Ur dies because he's wicked. It actually says the Lord put him to death. This is the first instance where we see something like this happening in the Bible. So this guy must have been absolutely terrible. It was the, the custom for the next oldest son to protect the family line of the oldest son who had the birthright by marrying her in order for her to conceive a son. Now to do this was of no economic advantage to the brother, to the next brother. The first son that she would bear would in essence take the position of the older brother giving him the birthright and the lion's share of the inheritance. But, if the woman bears no children, the birthright would naturally fall to the next oldest in the family. This practice was not just for the preservation of the family line, but also for the protection of the widow. To be a woman during this time meant your welfare was wrapped up in becoming a wife and a mother. And so this was their security and protection. And so was this practice. So Judah's second oldest, Onan, takes Tamar as his wife and sleeps with her repeatedly, but takes measures to make sure she will not get pregnant. Tamar is being used and abused by Judah's second son, Onan. He's only concerned with his own pleasure and his current position of power that, that will remain as long as his dead brother's wife doesn't conceive a son by him. I mean, isn't this terrible? And the Lord put him to death. Judah has one more son left, but he's not old enough to marry. So he sends Tamar back to her family, which is actually shirking his responsibility to care for her. She, she married into his family. 
yet he's sending her back. Further, we read that he has no intention to give his last son to Tamar. He's already deduced that she's the black widow of death. So Judah takes another woman in his life, Tamar, and fails to know her as a daughter-in-law because he has no idea how wicked his sons are and he sends her away showing he has no intention of knowing her and caring for her. Yet another woman devalued and unwanted in Judah's wake. These dots connect pretty easily in Judah's life, don't they? What do we do after we connect these dots in our own life? Well, we bring them to God. He's the master story writer, and only he is, an, is able to connect those dots for us in a greater way. And he's the only one who can turn them around to make sense of them. Jude is not going to do this, though, because he's running away from God, not just his family. We see this in Judah's disregarding God by his disregard for God by marrying a Canaanite. That, that's the first clue that we have. This was clearly forbidden by God to Abraham regarding his son Isaac, and then obeyed by Isaac in regard to his son. Jacob. In order for the Abrahamic promise to continue, which, which is supposed to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth, the family line has to continue. Judah, in, in not being willing to give his last son to Tamar, tells us he is no longer interested in God's promises or God himself. You can't run and hide from who you are. And thankfully, you can't run and hide from God, as we'll see in this account. We need God to know ourselves and to do what and and to do that, and to do that to know ourselves. We need God. He's the one who, who knit us together in our mother's womb and knows our every thought. Not just our actions, but our thoughts. And to know God, you need Jesus. He is the only way to God. Jesus further became fully man while remaining fully God, and because of that, he knows what it takes to live in this world that is filled with evil in a way that brings clarity to our lives, and he can bring that into your life, too. Isn't that what we want? I just want to make sense of this. I just want some purpose. I want some clarity. 
God can give you that. Or you can play this game, which is our next point. It's the blame and shame game. I've added shame in there for you. So let's focus in on Tamar for a moment, Judah's daughter-in-law. So she's the target of Judah's blame. Judah refuses to think his sons were the problem in the marriage. And that's why he sends Tamar back to her family, because he has no intention of giving his last son to her. Yet he refuses to release her from the family as well, because he instructs her, remain a widow. He He doesn't divorce her from the family. He keeps her, but just sends her away. Tamar has been privately shamed by Onan, Judah's second son, and now she has been publicly shamed by being sent away and thought of as cursed by the family that she married into. And you know that word spread around. The blame will continue, but first let's move the narrative along to to see it. A considerable amount of time passes, as indicated by verse 12, and Judah's wife dies. He goes up to shear his sheep, and when Tamar gets word of it, she hatches a plan to dress up like a prostitute to get Judah to sleep with her in order to get pregnant because she sees that it's clear that she's not going to be given in marriage to this last son of Judah. Now this is how we know that he frequented prostitutes because of this plan by Tamar. Judah may not have known Tamar, but Tamar knew Judah. Judah approaches her and asks for her services and offers her a young goat from his flock as payment. All she has to do is sit there. She doesn't have to entice him. She knows this is his habit. If I just put myself in the right place, it'll happen. Tamar asks for a pledge of his word that he's going to give a young goat and He gives her his signet cord and staff at her request. The signet was like a signature, and the cord held it around Judah's neck. This this actually shows that Judah is a wealthy man. Only wealthy men would have a a, a signet in order to have a a, a stamp that would say, this is mine, or, or this is my word. His staff would have been personalized as well with carvings on the top, so it was another item of identification. So this is equivalent to Judah giving Tamar his credit cards, passport, and passwords. The transaction occurs, and Tamar becomes pregnant. Later, Judah sends his buddy, Ahira, to pay that prostitute with 
the young goat and get his personal belongings back, but he can't find her, and no one in that place knows what he's talking about. So here's Judah's reaction in verse 23. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. You see that there? Or we shall be laughed at. He knows giving away all those personal belongings was foolish. That's why he's concerned about... That's, that's why he's, he's concerned about not going to a prostitute. He, he is concerned with his reputation, not his sin. Judah doesn't question why he would do this to himself. Or, you know, why would I give these valuable items as a pledge at her request? He, he simply dismisses it for fear of being found out and in his mind laughed at. I think that's everyone's fear with their sin and why they keep it secret. Because they feel they're going to be judged or laughed at, ridiculed. Can I assure you, if you come and confess your sins to me as, as your pastor or one of your church leaders or, or to someone you trust who, who loves the Lord and loves you, you will not be laughed at or told how foolish you are. You will be, you will be applauded for doing so and loved and helped. Don't believe the lie that you need to keep it secret. Believe the truth. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5, verse 16. Here's what happens next. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. <laughs> okay. J Judah immediately calls for Tamar's death upon finding out about this. Judah is trying to eliminate what he believes is the problem, Tamar. Again, this, this, is, this is the blame game. If she is dead, her son is no longer pledged to, to her, who he thinks is the, the cursed black widow. In his mind, this is an easy solution to the problem because he doesn't have to keep his word. He doesn't have to deal with the reality of, of who his sons really were. But God is going to bring all this into the light. 
to not bring it into the light is to play the blame and shame game. And if you play that game, you will never win. You will think you're winning because it's hidden, but you will never win. You will carry it like a heavy ball and chain. Now, the most exciting and encouraging point, breakthrough. Judah is found out, and Judah finds himself out. Here comes Tamar at Judah's request, verse 25. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law. By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Judah is exposed. But not only his current sin is exposed, but God exposes his other hidden sin of selling Joseph and deceiving his father with his brother's royal coat that was dipped in goat's blood. Did you notice how God revealed that to him? Please identify whose these are. These are the same words he relayed to his father about the bloody coat. You remember? Just like how Jacob clearly identified Joseph's royal robe, he could do no less. It was a very special robe. Judah identifies these items. He can do no less. They're very special items. He identifies them as his. God has made it so he can do no less. <coughs> Judah has stopped the blame and shame game because you can only play those games in the dark. And God has graciously shined the light of truth on Judah. Look at Judah's reply after he admits the items are his in verse 26. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. Remember, he, he thought of Tamar as cursed and blamed her and now he sees he is at fault in more ways than one this is just the beginning of judah's transformation because he has confessed his guilt and is convicted of his sin that is always the beginning sign of god working in a heart if you're, if you're feeling that, that conviction, don't try to just squash it down or ignore it or push it away. That's God working. Judah is blessed not with one child, but two. An indication that his family, his family, not his brothers, will carry the promise of the, of the blessing. 
of the next generation. When the birth took place, the one son put out a hand from the womb, and the midwife marked it as the firstborn. But the hand drew back in, and the younger child emerged first and was called Perez, which means he who breaks through. How fitting as God had broken through to Judah's heart. And we will see the change in him in the chapters ahead. I, I wonder if Judah heard God speaking to him as he watched this whole struggle in Tamar's womb during the birth. Judah and his brothers, if you remember, did not want to be serving their younger half-brother as, as Joseph's dream indicated. But this birth shows how the younger will break through and come out on top, even though the older made a play for it first. Isn't the Bible amazing? It's a literary masterpiece. Man could not have written this alone, but only by the inspiration of God. What's our application? Maybe you're like Judah, trying to run from yourself by storing up shame and blaming others. Your sins, maybe you're in the dark. And you think it's best they stay there because you can't see any good of those coming into the light, being exposed because of the havoc they've caused you and, and others. I've got good news for you. God is ready to break through. If you'll stop hiding your shame, and stop blaming others and take Jesus by the hand and step into his glorious light. I know that step is hard. It doesn't feel right. You think sin, sin should be buried deep in a hole, not exposed. Don't listen. Don't listen to that logic. Just do it. Put it into the light. Don't stay in the dark like Judah did. When we bring it into the light, this is how we build gospel culture in the church. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light... As he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we take Jesus by the hand in faith, he takes our blame and shame, which he put to death on the cross, and we bear it no more.
That's the first and most important move that we can ever make in this life. Trusting Jesus. Believing on Jesus. Taking him by the hand, if you will. Then, we experience the healing when we walk in the light together. Confessing our sins to our fellow Christians who love and care about us. And we, with that, we gain deep, meaningful connection with one another. Fellowship with one another, that's what that means. Deep, meaningful connection with one another in the common bond of not the mask that we're putting on, not the amount of money we earn or the status we have in this life, but through the common bond of our forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's the strongest bond that you can ever have with someone because that bond will never be broken because Jesus, when you come to him, will never cast you out. Right. Father, thank you that you placed Genesis 38 in our Bibles. Because we can identify a whole lot more with Judah and, and Tamar than we can with Joseph, who is this picture of Christ. We, we need Genesis 38. Because we live Genesis 38 in our lives. Thank you that you break through into lives that are, that are wrecked by their past and running away from you. Thank you that you break through, that you don't give up, that your love is relentless. Thank you for that reality that's found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, for, for, the, for the one who's never taken that first step of, of taking Jesus by the hand, believing on him, putting their faith and trust in him, making him the king of their life, help them to take that step of faith today. That step that will transform the rest of their lives as they, as they confess their sins to one another, walking in the light, and gaining these connections in life that will transcend this world, that will rise above all the other connections that we have, and that will bring us all the way home. You never cast us out when we come to you. Thank you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.